Hey, we are in chapter 10. We're in double digits. I'll say that twice. Double digits. And we're on the topic of obedience. Huh? Isn't that an exciting topic? Isn't that something that we're just so passionate about? Every day we get up on bed and then hopefully out of bed and we say, man, God, I've just got to be more obedient to you. That's my goal today. I long to... That's the correct answer. Uh, and hopefully that really is reality, but that's what we're going to talk about, obedience. Now, as you turn there on page 109, for those of you hooked on your workbooks, uh, page 109 on the issue of obedience, I think that uh, obedience kind of peeling off of what we sp uh, spent the last two weeks on, the spirit-filled slash controlled life. I think when it comes to obedience, this is why I appreciated him dealing with how does it mean and how does it look and how do you become spirit-controlled? Because that's the key to obedience. It isn't done in your own strength. If you try it, you're going to fail. Okay, so he set us up for success on this topic. Now, when it comes to obedience, I think there's a couple issues. One, I think really at the heart of the matter, as we're going to see Lord willing tonight, is obedience to God is really love for God. That's really what the whole theme is, obedience, okay? And we'll get to that in a second. And then the second thing, obedience is a pathway to experiencing God's blessings, Okay, has good things for us, okay? Now let me, before we get started, let's take a look at why I say that obedience, you really just basically would say this, what is obedience to God? That is basically love, I'd say even uh, mixed in with this word, thankfulness in action, okay? Love in action for God. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14, and this is what Jesus said, okay? John chapter 14, John of course was written by John on the ball. John chapter 14, verses 23 through 24, okay? And Jesus uh, is obviously speaking here, and he promises the Holy Spirit. We saw last week in the Spirit-controlled life, and then all of a sudden he throws this one in there. In the context, John 14, verses 23 through 24, here's what Jesus said. He replied, if anyone loves me, he's what? He's going to say, he loves me. And he's going to tell everybody that he's a Christian and that he loves Jesus and that's good enough for God. Now, what's the acid test? If you really love Jesus, you're going to obey. That's right, Mary. Uh, you're going to obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's intimacy. And who's the father? This is God who is the creator of the universe. <laughs> this is cool, Okay. Uh, we get to obey him and he's going to come and we get to hang out and have this great relationship with the creator of the universe is what he says. He who does not, now listen, he didn't just stop there. He says, I'm flipping around. He who does not love me will what? Not obey my teaching. Hey, listen, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So what's Jesus basically say? Hey, you can sit there and say, I'm a born again Christian and I'm not saying that you're not. But you could sit there, oh, I love Jesus. You could sing the songs all you want. You could uh, uh, dress in like, these exciting clothes that I get to wear now. Uh, and you could do all that neat stuff and church stuff. And you say, I love Jesus, really? Or are you just one of those folks that you look like that, sound like that, act like that for one hour a week, and then the rest of the week, it's something else. How's your behavior? You know, we, we say this even in marriages, right? Hey, don't just say you love me. Why don't you? You guys, I'm going to Midland early, and we're not even talking about marriage, right? Hey, we got a marriage with Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ, right? 
hey, God, and he has all rights to ask this one. Hey, listen, guys, maybe uh, if you could just stop saying it, if you just show it, how do you show it? Obey me. Okay? Obey me. You can sit there and say, oh, I'm a lover of God. I love Jesus. But if your life says something else, you're not fooling anybody but yourself. Okay? Now, not only that, is it, is it love in action? Okay? But what does this world try to get us to say? We've seen this many times before. Oh, somehow if you obey God, that you're going to miss out on something, right? And somehow if you compromise, take this shortcut, this is the path you need to go. This is where satisfaction comes from. No, no, don't follow God. We act like it's not a pathway of blessings. It's some sort of torture, like, oh, just religious drudgery. Why can't I do that? The enemy has done a masterful job of getting us to think that being obedient to God is not a blessing. But God says, no, it ain't. Are you kidding me? You obey me? Man, I'm going to take care of you. I got good plans for you. Open your Bibles. I just came across this in my morning devotions a couple days ago. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And if you want to turn there, verses 20 through 27. This is pretty cool. And of course, dealing with the Israelites is the primary context. And I think the secondary application is just basically God taking care of his people. But notice what he says there uh, to Israel. Okay? is what he says. Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 20. And... Um, uh, or excuse me, 23, chapter 23, verse 20. And he says that, see, I'm sending my angel ahead of you to what? To guard you along the way to bring you to the place I have prepared. Do you mean that God actually will send angels to take care of his children, watch over his children? Keep, that's something you don't hear about much. Yeah, he will. Okay? And how many times have I always wondered this? How many times have uh, God uh, sent angels and he's protected us from all kinds of stuff and we're completely oblivious to? Huh? How many times have we like, came that close to hitting that car and getting a... You just thought, oh, boy, that was just really fortunate. How do you know it wasn't an angel? Just backing you up a little bit. Okay? He says, that's what I'm going to do for you. He says, pay attention to him. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He's not going to forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Now, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, that's called obedience. Guess what? God, the creator of the universe. If you want to have somebody on your side, it's God. Okay? He said, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies. Woo! Huh? I I'm going to oppose those who oppose you. I'll take care of them. <laughs> you're my kid, man. You obey me. I love you. You love me. Yeah, I'll stick up and fight for you. Exodus 14, 14. If you don't know that, that's a great verse to memorize. Uh, he basically says this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still. He'll take care of you. Okay. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, uh, and I will wipe them out. Now, here's what he says, but do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Do you worship the Lord your God and his what? His blessing will be upon your food and water. I'll take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Verse 27, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn and their backs and they're going to run away. And How many guys would like to have that? Whoa! How many guys would like to have that? Uh, kind of a walk with God. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, what was the key factor there that he was telling the Israelites? You need to worship. Okay, you need to obey uh, him and what he says. Don't rebel. Okay, no rebel. Okay, and certainly do not follow the ways of this world. Okay, he says you do that. I'll take care of you, man. I'll send angels. I'll dispatch them. I'll take care of you. Life's going to be good. I'm going to, ooh, my hands are going to be all over you. It's, it's a blessing. Obeying God is a blessing. That's the life that we say we all want. Oh, wouldn't it be great if life wasn't so... Well, there is a way. It's called obedience to God. But the world gets us to think that somehow we can somehow just say, oh, I love God. I'm a Christian. I love God. Really? It's, it's, if you love him, you're going to obey him. And again, when you obey him, it's a pathway to blessings, not torture, not missing out on something, not God just trying to rain on your parade. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's a pathway of blessing. Now, he asks the question here at the top there. He says, can't I live the way I want to? <laughs> yeah, you can, but why would you? 
Why would you even ask that? Why would you even struggle against that? Unless somewhere in your brain, even as a Christian, you think that following God is not a way of blessing. You get that? And I belabor that point because I really think the enemy's got us good into thinking that, oh, I guess I have to. Don't you want to experience a good life? Why, why would we fight that? Why would we have that kind of attitude? It's like, yeah, bring it on. What else do I got to do? God, name it. When I first got saved, and uh, uh, I called up my sister and, uh, from Kansas, and she's bawling her eyes out, and you know, because nobody thought I'd ever get saved. And, uh, <laughs> and so she's discipling me over the phone until she showed up a couple weeks later from Kansas and uh, discipling me in California. And uh, it was just, there was just like this natural thing. Nobody was, I'm all alone. Nobody, I said, what do I do? What, what can I do? What do I got to do to God? And it was just a natural, it's like, well, okay, how, man, because I'm, thank you, God. What do I got to do? And she's, well, do this and do that. And you do the, okay, yeah, you got it. Anything else? Anything else? You know, it's a natural thing. We'll get into a couple analogies, Lord willing, about that. Hey, he says, the guy says, I became a Christian when I was 12 years old, but for many years I chose to live a life as a carnal Christian. And maybe he never learned what we saw in the last chapter. What does it mean to be a spirit-controlled uh, Christian? Okay, he says, I wanted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but not as my Lord. It didn't take me too long to make a wreck of my life. Did you guys realize that when you get saved, God has no intentions and no desires for you to stay in the driver's seat? He does not want and he does not desire. And if you want this pathway of blessings, it's not him in the backseat. Okay, trying to, you know, excuse me, backseat driver, God here. Uh, if you would, could you stop? No, no, don't. Are you kidding me? He wants you in the backseat and he's driving and just enjoy the ride. And he's going to take you on a great ride. Just do what he says. Enjoy it. Okay. He says, but if you want to do it yourself, you're going to end up making a wreck of things. Okay. You want to do that? You want to fight God? You want to, if you will, chuck him in the backseat? He says, no, I got it handled. I'll just, I'll just, I'll pray when I get a flat tire, I, or I smash that guy in the back, the rear end of the truck, and then I'll, isn't that how we kind of treat our walk with God? Only when we get in a wreck do we say, oh God, please take over and drive. How about skip that step and say, God, would you please drive from now on? Now see, that's the difference between him just being your savior and him being the Lord. Can I tell you something? That's when he becomes the driver of your car, i.e. your life. Okay, is the difference there. And again, it's a pathway of blessings, not a torture. Okay, it's what he says there. He says, thankfully, my Lord loves me so much that he was waiting with open arms when I decided uh, to turn the reins of my life over to him and follow him through an obedient lifestyle. It took some pain and some hurt in my life to decide that he could run my life better than I could. Hello. And that he had my eternal interest in mind. No, I have not arrived uh, and I'm still learning, but I know that I would be missing out on so much if I continue to obey God, because it's such a horrible, lonely, rotten life, obeying God. No, I'm going to be missing out so much if I was still walking in disobedience. Obedience is my avenue to blessing, underline that, and the center of God's will, and that is where I want my family and me to be. That is also where God wants all of us to be. He's got great plans for us, guys. So obedience, if you will, is, is love in action. We know that in marriage. It's the same thing, I believe, in our marriage with Jesus Christ. And also, obedience is something uh, that is a pathway to blessings. But what we're going to see here, folks, is God has a great, wonderful, awesome plan for each one of us. But that plan does not happen until you learn to obey. Okay? Because as you obey, the plan begins to unfold. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, of course, was written by. Hey, a little tricky, and you still got it. Right on. That's right. That's right. Right on. Galatians, Ephesians. All righty. Ephesians chapter 2, and this is why I like to uh, remind uh, ourselves many times. We always seem to, let's grab the context. We're starting with verse 8. We're going to go all the way to verse 10. Seems like we stop at 8 and 9. No, keep reading. Okay, because there's something really cool in verse 10. We always seem to skip over Here's what he says, uh, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a what? That praise God, it's a gift from God. We couldn't earn it. And that's what he says, not by works that no one can boast. Close it up, all right, move on, next point. No, keep reading. What did he save you for, Christian? He says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when I came across that as a new Christian, it's like, man, this Christianity stuff just keeps getting better. 
This relationship with God, the creator of the universe, because that's what Christianity is. This is awesome. You mean to tell me I'm not going to hell, and I am going to heaven, and it's a gift from God. I can't earn it, but it's completely secure in him because it's a gift, okay? And it's received by faith. That means it's not of works. I'm going to heaven, woo! And before I get there, I not only have this intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, but he is going to use this life, yes, even this wretched man, oh, that I am, as Paul says, and do something splendid? That isn't just for my life or Ron or Pastor Jim and, and believe it or not, John Ruth, it, it, it is true. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble later. But <laughs> it's for every Christian. Do you understand that? Okay, it, it, God, the creator of the universe, he saves us. He saved every one of you who was born again for a great work that he prepared in advance for us to do. Something that will last forever. All the trophies we get on here, that's, that's going to burn. All the accolades, all the degrees, all, that's all going to burn. But to do something for God that will stand for all eternity, isn't that awesome? That's, okay, so we go, yeah, that's exciting. Do you know how that takes place? Obedience. Obedience is the pathway to blessings, but it's the pathway of that plan that, listen, this is how special it is, guys. It's a plan specifically catered to you that only you and between you and the Spirit of God can do. And listen, nobody on the planet Earth can do it. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. And we could sit on that. We can go, whoa, that's great. But I'm telling you, how do you get there? How does that plan begin to unfold? You start learning. Get in the back seat. Yes, sir, Captain, sir, as we saw on Sunday, he's the heavenly commander. We need to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. And whatever he says, you got her. We start enjoying the blessings, ma'am. He'll dispatch his angels to take care of all of our enemies. In the meantime, he'll start doing something splendid for all eternity. But I know obedience is just so horrible. It's just a pain. I miss, I'd rather go do, can I, why can't I live life the way I want to? When you start to tear down what obedience really is scripturally, isn't that a ludicrous statement for a Christian ever to make? And in your heart begins to break as a spiritual Christian for somebody who's saying that as a Christian because like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you look at what you're missing out on. But I'm telling you, I'll say it again. I think that's how deep the lie of the enemy has gone getting us to think that we're missing out on something. All right, let's continue on. Uh, what is obedience? First John chapter 2. Verses three through four states, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep, that's your blank there, if we keep his commandments. Now, the one who says, I've come to know him, I'm a Christian, ha, 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 ha. That's right, I, I, do not keep is your next blank. You don't obey his commandments. You are a liar. Ooh, that's a stinger, isn't it? You're not fooling anybody. You're a liar, okay? And the truth is not in you. You can give God lip service all you want, but he knows that you really love him if you obey him, right? So what he says, I didn't say he did. The Greek verb translated keep there is tereo, and it denotes to watch over, to preserve, to keep, or to watch. Now, that, 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 just listening to that right there is like, man, somebody's serious. I mean, to, to be like a watchman. You know, again, you're, you're a soldier and you're on watch and you, you're the one who's in charge at the gate or in charge of keeping your eyes open. Is the enemy coming over there? I mean, uh, if a soldier was found asleep on duty, what would happen to him? Court martial, lay hands on him, all that kind of neat stuff. Okay, what happened? Okay, but as a Christian, I mean, this is, this is God's commands and we're watching over. It's like, okay, okay, now what else am I going to do? Okay, and then, ooh, ooh, got to be careful. Ooh, ooh, what's next? Okay, we, that's, that takes some heart determination, doesn't it? okay. And that's what he says there. He says the idea of obedience involves being submissive. Ooh, that's a popular word nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, of course I'm being sarcastic and that's the problem. Submissive, okay, uh, to the restraint or command of authority. Okay, in our case, that authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our obedience as God's children should flow from a deep love, under, underline that guys, a deep love for our heavenly father. Okay, John states this later in the epistle. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, listen, are not burdensome. 
What can I do when I want to do? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a burden. It's, it's a blessing. This is how that incredible, cool plan that only you and the Spirit of God between you and God, nobody else on the whole planet Earth of all generations can pull off. Yeah! And this is how you experience God's blessings and you say, yes, God, I love you. Yeah! That's not a burden. It's not a burden, okay? And that's what he says. It's not burdensome. Obedience in the Christian life deals uh, with more than outward observance. Now, that's where it becomes drudgery. If you look upon the Christian life as just a bunch of do's and don'ts, then you're missing the whole point. Because here's the funny game that we play. Christians individually, churches corporately that I've found. Me personally. Okay? Uh, depending on church A, they will have their 50 top 50 do's and don'ts that you're supposed to do to prove that you're a spiritual Christian. You go to church B, they've got 75. But don't worry, Mike. Don't go there because that proves that they're legalistic. Okay, but you go over to church C over here on this corner and they've got 20. Well, that proves wrong, they're liberal. Okay, but depending on what church they go to, right, they always have their little things and this is our thing because everybody plays that funny little game, right? You go, well, that's just a gray area. No, excuse me, we talked about this before. I don't believe there's any gray areas in the Bible, okay? Even things that are not explicitly stated, I think if you honestly, and you're listening, if you will, to the Holy Spirit inside of you as a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit, okay, and you simply ask this question to whatever behavior, whatever uh, thing, and whatever decision, you're gonna instantly have your answer. The question is, are you going to obey or fight it? And that question is this, is this activity, is this behavior going to help or hinder my walk with Jesus Christ? Is this act or behavior going to help or hurt my witness for Christ? Because there's certain things that we have liberty as Christians to do, but even out of love for another person, we refrain from doing because it could be a stumbling block to them. There's no gray areas, but see, that's the game that we play, as if it's just outward observance. Okay, and so I've got these 50 memorized, and then I could, well, that, I'm leaving that church because they got this little standard thing, and I don't really buy into that, so I'm going to go over to this liberal one. <laughs> it's like, you're missing your point. It, it's... God, what else can I do? I love you. Thank you for saving me from hell. Anything else? Can I shine your shoes? Somebody else's shoes in your name? What do I got to do? And he says that if it's just outward observance of a set of rules, okay, it's more than that. Outward observance is a set of religious rules is legalism. That's when it becomes dry and stale and boring. Plus, you never remember all of them, do you? If that's all you do is you're trying to memorize a bunch of do's and don'ts, you're not going to remember all of them. Okay, this is the same problem with the Jewish people. Uh, back when it came to law, God had 10 commandments. And then they continued to extrapolate and build upon that. And they began to build all kinds of things. Uh, just the one like, uh, you shall not do any work on the Sabbath. Okay, uh, the, the fourth commandment there. And you, you shall not do any work. And they, they began to build upon that. Well, let's, let's go ahead and break that down and further define that. Okay, because what would be constituting, did you know the Jewish law back in the day, uh, it was illegal uh, to spit. I think I showed this before on the ground. You could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath. That was considered a sin. Now here's the reason why. Here's the justification. They took the one law and they began to extrapolate all kinds of other things. And this is just one example. Because according to the Jewish tradition is when you spit in the ground, okay, the spittle is the trajectory of the spittle was going with inertia. It would hit the ground. It would hit the dirt, cause the dirt to turn, which is akin to plowing and plowing is work. You're working the ground. That's legalism. Churches do the same thing today. They'll take one thing and they say, well, no. I don't ever want to see you going bowling again, John. That black ball you were using, that's the eye of the devil rolling down that alley. No spiritual Christian would ever go bowling. I'll tell you what, you better wash your hands real good, brother, because you touched the eye of the demon. <laughs> How long ago was it the church has actually taught that? Okay, apparently never in Vegas, but anyway, in other parts of the country. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, right? And that's what we'll do. We'll look at some outward thing and everybody's got their own little, that's not what it is. That leads to legalism. If all that is for you as a Christian, you're going to get bored out of your gourd and you're just going to, it's legalistic. And then that's how you're going to treat, quote, your Christianity and your walk with God. And then people are going to look at you who are not Christians and go, oh, if that's Christianity, obviously you don't like doing it. 
Bingo. Because you missed it. It's not an outward. It's an inward. Inward. My heart is in love with God. And then when you're in love with God, you obey him. And then that starts to dictate the outward. Do you get it? And that's what he's saying there. Christian obedience does not, is not only outward conformity, but also just as importantly with inward is your next blank there. Inward heart submission to God's word is what's going on there. In fact, the whole issue is love. And let me give you an example of that. I think it's a great way to illustrate that. And I don't think it's, uh, I think it's a, it should be a, a common sense response of the Christian. If you love God, you're naturally gonna say, what can I do? But here's, here's how it goes. Can you imagine if you were at a church prayer meeting? Yes, that would be amazing, but that's not my point. Uh, and you're in that church prayer meeting, and when somebody runs in from the parking lot yelling, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. And while you're listening, you discover that a mystery flu, probably from that chicken bag we saw on Sunday, uh, is sweeping across the country, killing millions of people, okay? And doctors are working around the clock. They're trying to find an antidote, but nothing is working. And just when all hope seemed lost, the news comes out, the code has been broken. A vaccine can be made, but it's gonna take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected yet. So everybody is asked to do one simple thing. Go to your local hospital and have your blood taken. So sure enough, you and your family go down with thousands of others all over Las Vegas and to get your blood taken. Then all of a sudden, the doctor comes running out of the hospital screaming, waving this clipboard, yelling a name, and you can't believe your ears. Your son tugs on your jacket and said, Daddy, that's me. And before you know it, they grabbed your boy while saying, it's okay, your son's blood is perfect, we can make the vaccine. And as the word begins to spread across the parking lot, thousands of people begin to erupt with joy. But that's when the doctor comes over, he's no longer smiling like the rest, and he says, hey, we had no idea it was gonna be a little child. We weren't prepared for that. I I'm sorry, sir, we're gonna need all of his blood. And so you, you, you stammer and you hesitate and the doctor continues, we're talking about the whole world here, sir. Please sign this consent form. We need it all now. In numb silence, as the parent, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? Now listen, can you imagine walking back to that room with your son on a table saying, Daddy, Mommy, what's going on? But before you can answer, the doctor comes back and says, I'm sorry, we've got to get started. People all over the world are dying. Now, can you imagine having to leave? Can you imagine walking out while he, your son, is saying, Daddy, Mommy, why have you forsaken me? And then can you imagine the very next week after it's all over and they're having this ceremony to honor your son's life that some people actually sleep through it? Some people don't even come because they want to go to the lake. And, and some folks do come, but they just have this phony smile like they're pretending to care. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you were that parent, wouldn't you want to jump up and scream, my son died for you? Don't you even care? If we appreciate what God has done for us, What's the logical response? Thank you. You visit this stratosphere, right? You thought you were going to be brave and be one of those guys who straps on the harness and jumps over, right? But unfortunately, before you got there, you stumbled in the line and you started to fall over. But at the last minute, that's right, John with his burly muscles, I'm trying to make up for earlier, John, uh, Really manly muscles, big, huge muscles. Look at them things. But <laughs> he grabbed you at the last minute, pulled you back over, right? I mean, you literally, oh, right? Whoa. Whew. At that point, what's the logical response? John, dude, come on, dude. Can I take you back into this diner thing? I'll buy, hey, what, what do you want? I'll order anything you want. You know, get all bloated, man. Order some seafood, too, on top of that. I don't care what it is. I'll buy you anything. Thank you, John. Thank you. John, I'll take you in the gift shop. I'll get you that alien bobblehead, man. I'll do something. John, let me do something. Please just save me. Whoa. Right? But can you imagine, once again, like with this story, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Hey, can you get him away? need to go. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Obedience is a natural love response for God saving us 
from going over the precipice. Can I define the precipice for you? And this is what he says on the next page. It's called hell. And that brings the next question on the top of the page 110. Why should we obey? He says this. It's not hard coming up with a multitude of reasons for our obedience to God. He said the first thing that comes to mind is the incredible love that he's shown to us. The fact of the matter is before we became Christians, we were in a desperate situation. Desperate is your blank there. Okay. And uh, here's what he says. The Bible says that we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and by nature children of wrath. Okay? We had no hope. Is your next blank there. Of eternal life. And to be very blunt, we were doomed to eternal, is your next blank there, to eternal punishment in the lake of fire. I've said this before with just trying to get you motivated as a Christian, realizing how short life is. And that uh, three times a day, uh, first in the morning, then uh, sneak away at lunchtime, and then before you go to bed, but go into the mirror and stare in the mirror, look at yourself very good, and five times uh, each one of those three periods during the day, say, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going you're to die. Because we don't think we are. We don't believe, even oftentimes I think what we say is like, hey, today could be your last day. Well, you know what? One day it's going to be. I'll guarantee you, you probably don't think it is. I don't. I'm assuming I'm going to go home tonight, but maybe the, today's the last day. But that'll motivate you. But listen, now put it in this context. Can, can I tell you something? Well, I've just been a little lax in my walk with Jesus, and I don't know. I just, I, you've heard statements like this. I just, I, just, uh, I just don't love him like I used to. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't. Let's try a little experiment. Let's try this. How about every day when you get up, three times a day, once in the morning, once in the uh, midway at lunchtime, and before you go to bed, stare in the mirror, and this time say this, I'm not going to hell, 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 whoa! Do it again at lunchtime, whoa, I'm not going to hell! Before you go to sleep, yeah, I'm not going to hell, yeah! Whoa, thank you, God! Can I do something? Can I shine your shoes? I'll get you an alien bobblehead too, like John. Please? Now, here's the other thing. When's the last time you did a good study on hell? Maybe when we first got saved. When's the last time you really dug deep and go, what is hell really like? Well, that's right, Terrence. I'm here for you tonight. Let's take a little uh, scripture thing. What does the Bible say about hell? You know, where Jesus saved us from. You know, going over the stratosphere into what? Into this place. Hell is considered a place of thirst. It's a place of worms. It's a place of no return. It's a place of remembrance. It's a place of the wicked dead. It's a place of wicked demons. It's a bottomless pit. It's a place of a burning waste dump. It's a place of outer darkness. It's a place of fire. It's a place of the lake of fire. It's a place of eternal fire. It's a place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of everlasting punishment. It's a place of eternal condemnation. It's a place of eternal judgment. It's a place of everlasting destruction. It's a place of It's a place of torment. It's a place of eternal torment. And I love Dr. Couch's description. He says, picture a time that just continues to tumble on forever and ever, never ending, never slowing down, the same years and decades of torment, regret, sorrow, pain, blanketed darkness, nights never ending, constant consciousness, lostness, aloneness, loneliness, rumblings from the pit, groans, torturing fire, choking smells, unending and unending, no letting up, no relief, no comfort, never resting, never ceasing, never relenting, no end in sight, 100 years rolling into another 100 years, slowly turning over into a thousand years painstakingly evolving into another thousand years and finally into a million years the same grinding pain the continual bone racking agony screams upon screams weeping upon weeping echoing sighs upon sighs that's hell thank you jesus for saving me from that place is there anything i could do for you oh what can i do why can't i do what i want to do We've forgotten. Do you see how far the enemy's got us to thinking? Somehow obeying God is a life of torture when it's a life of blessings. We all want to have that incredible, amazing plan that God has for each individual Christian unfold, but we don't want to follow the path that leads to it. And then somehow we could just think that we're fooling God by saying, I love Jesus, and I want to do what I want to do. No, if you love him, you're going to keep his commands. And when you put it in the context of what he saved us from, is it really that hard to, if you will, conjure up that love? <laughs> no. 
It's when we forget what he's done for us that our obedience goes down. So if your obedience is down, remind yourself what hell is like, what he saved you from, and the sacrifice that God did with his son and given us his blood. And next time you won't sleep through it and you won't say, oh, I'd rather go to the lake. And you won't have this attitude. Do I have to? That's what he's talking about here. He continues on. He says, that would uh, be our end, hell, had it not been for our God's sovereign choice uh, of us by his grace, whereby he redeemed and forgave us. The outflow of our love toward God for these acts alone should be a compelling desire to obey him in all that he asks us to do. Thank you, God. Thank you. In fact, as we saw in John, uh, 1 John 5, 3, observance of God's commands is our evidence of love for him. We should also obey God because it makes sense, is your next two blanks there, it makes sense to obey him. The God we serve is a God of infinite wisdom and love. Now that we have become uh, sons of God and we're part of his family, he desires the best for us, is your next blank there. Not the worst, the best. It is for this reason that he's given us his instructions for a life of godliness and holiness in his word. Far from being restrictions to our freedom, in actuality, God's commands are rules that lead to freedom. It's when you follow the enemy that leads to slavery, right? Name a sin and think about that for a second and you go, wow, you could get in bondage, shackled to that thing, can't you? Yeah. God's path leads to freedom, true freedom, okay? It's not burdensome, okay? He said another reason for obeying God is the fact that he has commanded it, Okay? Uh, he, we must lead a life of obedience to live a life of holiness. And Peter writes, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because as it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How many guys have children? How many guys like those cool moments? When, uh, and in fact, I just had one, was it last night or this morning? Maybe it was this morning uh, with Billy. When your kids actually emulate you. I'm not talking about those ones in the department store when they're acting like you and embarrassing you because of the things that you probably shouldn't be doing, but now your kids are doing them. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the good ones, right? Okay? Uh, and uh, it's kind of like a cool moment. It's like a proud moment. It's like Billy. I was getting ready this morning, and I got a little coffee pot thing before the bed, and I get the alarm goes off, so I hit my little thing, wait for the water to get ready, and then I get up, and my coffee's ready to go. I don't have to go downstairs, and I have to hang out with the Lord and stuff before you know, getting ready for the day. And that's kind of like, that's my routine. Well, he's been watching this, obviously, for almost eight years, okay? And uh, so today, out of the blue, he's up there, he's hopping in their bed, I'm getting ready, and knows he's over there, and he's playing me. He's over there, he's like, got the little coffee pot thing, and doing his little thing, and trying to be like his pop, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then he, he develops this plan. He says, he, he comes in there to the bathroom, he goes, he goes, Papa, he says, uh, uh, I need to get a, a coffee pot for my room. I said, Really? He says, I, <laughs> I was, and he says, uh, he says, yeah, because when I get up, he says, I can drink my hot chocolate. And that way I won't have to wake mommy up. <laughs> That's pretty cool, you know. And, but I knew what he was up to. He was trying to be like his pop, right? And whatever. And so he goes downstairs, and uh, he's rummaging around. Next thing you know, he comes up, he's got these bags of tea, one thing of hot chocolate, and all this stuff. And he, he built his stash. So he's ready to go for tomorrow. Right? And it's just kind of a cool thing. He's like, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> you know, he's like his pops. He wants to be like his pops. You know, it's just kind of a neat moment, right? It's a bonding moment. It's like, yeah, that's my kid, right? He wants to be like me. God says, if you're my kid, I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy. I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. I want to have that moment like, yeah, that's Robert. He's holy as I'm holy. He's walking in holiness. Ron, yeah, look at Ron, yeah, look at that. He's walking in holiness. That's my boy. That's my kid, yeah. If you love God, don't you want to please him like that? Don't you want to reflect your father? Don't you want to make him happy? Okay, and again, it's all for our good. That's what he says, be holy as I'm holy. A life of holiness is a result of a life of obedience. Your next blank there. James told the recipients of the, his letter, but prove yourselves, okay, doers of the word and not merely hearers and delude yourself. You know, because I know this never happens. You come in here, you know, Wednesday night Bible study or uh, Sunday morning and what have you, and man, woo-wee, that was a great sermon. That was a great Bible study, right? 
thank you, Bonnie. I'll take you out to lunch later. But anyway, <laughs> wow, that was great. That was awesome. And you walk out the doors, and you forget what in the world you just heard. And you're not going, oh, I need to apply that. And it's like, a, hey, as we go out to lunch today, um, did you, let's, let's go over what uh, pastor talked about or so-and-so taught in Sunday school. And, and can we talk, oh, that's, what, did you remember that point? That, that I didn't think about that. Because you, you're working, I want to do it. I don't want to just hear this every week and go through this religious motion. I want to do it. Okay, and that's what he says, and delude yourselves, don't do that. God's desire for us is no less than his desire for Israelites were, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God? Exodus 20, 20, turn there very quickly. Exodus 20, 20, okay. And this, now, the context of this statement is right after he gives the Ten Commandments. So again, and, and so God tells us a little key that I think we've forgotten, okay, is uh, when he calls us to be obedient, okay, and he's called them to be obedient, just keep these 10 things. Can you keep these 10 things? That'd be cool. Please keep these 10 things. He tells us one thing, okay, he comes down in his holiness onto the mountain there. The people freak out. God comes down, if you look at the context, descends upon it, boom, rumblings, thunder, lightning, and he speaks, and the people say, oh, Moses, don't let God speak to us. Oh, we are freaked out. Moses, you speak to us. Don't have God speak to us anymore. We are so scared. We're going to die. And this is what he says. After he says, here's my commandments. I want you to obey me. They freak out at his holy presence. And here's what God says. Oh, can I tell you what I'm up to? Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the what? Fear of God will what? Be with you to help you what? Keep you from sinning. Now, we're not fear of judgment, meaning, oh, no, we're going to lose our salvation because we can't. We've talked about this before in discipline. We're fear of getting a spanky from God. But see, we don't think God's going to spank us, but he does. Because as a parent, he loves us, right? The fear of God, and that's what he says there. He says this, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your, underline that, put fireworks around that, circle it, do whatever you got. If you got one of those nifty uh, 3D multicolored highlighters, woo, circle that one for your good. Is what he says there. And the final reason of obeying God our Father is the fact that someday we will be held accountable. But we don't believe that, I think, by and large. I'll, Lord willing, next week talk about that. But I wanted to kind of put it in perspective as we close. Obedience to God really isn't that difficult uh, at all. Uh, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, as we, if we took a look at uh, the aspect of it's just a pathway of somebody naturally in love with God being thankful for what he's done for us, okay? But really what we're asking here, obedience to God, dare I say this with all due respect, don't take this wrong, if we Christians, I'm firmly convinced in America, if we were to love God no better than a dog loves his master, we would radically be changed. Dare I say, revival might even bust out. One guy shares this true story. He wrote that one day he met a man whose dog had just been killed in a forest fire. And obviously heartbroken, the man explained how it happened. Listen to this. Because he worked outdoors, he often took his dog with him. And on that particular morning, he left the animal in a clearing and gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch bucket while he went into the forest. And his faithful friend understood, for that's exactly what he did. Then a fire started in the woods and soon the blaze spread to the spot where the dog had been left, he, but he did not move. He stayed right where he was in perfect obedience to his master's word. And with, listen, with tearful eyes, the dog owner said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it out of love. Is that how God sees us? I gotta be careful what I ask Mike to do or Junior because they're gonna do it and they're gonna do it to a T. And so I need to be careful with my instructions. That's how much they love me 
that's how much they want to obey me. And when you put in the context, no better than what a dog does. And yet God deserves so much more after all he's done for us. Obedience, translate the word. Last chapter, we translated spirit-filled, spirit-controlled. Obedience to God, guys, it's just love and action. You love him, you keep his commandments. And it keeps it really simple. You don't have to get into legalism. You don't have to memorize. You don't have to go, what was that rule? Okay, I can't spit because that's going to be plowing. God, what can I do for you? I love you. Thank you. Just let me know. Yes, sir. Captain, sir. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call 
for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com, or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.